This morning we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. This text is one that many have memorized and one that has been an encouragement for Christians throughout history. Last week we focused on how we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith in Christ alone that brings true and everlasting righteousness. It is a gift of God. Not at all by works, but by His grace displayed fully through Christ. Today, we're going to be seeing how we continue in that faith. That faith in Christ is how we live. And so let's read the text and work through it. As I mentioned last week, my hope is that this time is worshipful and hopeful for us as we look at this text. So go ahead and stand and follow along Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Pray, Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and we're so grateful for the truth that is disclosed to us in these few verses. We love you, and we praise you, and we ask you to help us in this time, please. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, these three verses really form the heart of Paul's entire argument. Peter's behavior in Antioch didn't make sense. It didn't coincide with the truth of the gospel. In fact, it was contrary to the gospel. To the extent that really Paul is saying in this argument with him, Peter, you have to choose. You must choose between what you are doing by separating from table fellowship with Gentiles, requiring them to take on the Mosaic law, and the true gospel of Jesus. You cannot do both. You cannot have both. They are contrary to each other. Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Notice something from the beginning here. Paul is telling the story of Jesus' death and resurrection as if it was his own story. And it is his own story. He truly means when he says that he is in Christ. And therefore, what is true of Christ is true of Paul. And there's so much hope here because when he says, I, it is not exclusive. He isn't saying just me. This is a representative text. This is what it means to be a Jewish person who believes in the Messiah Jesus. And this is what it means to be a Gentile person who believes in the Messiah Jesus. What he, what he says of himself here is representative of all who believe, all who have faith in Christ. 
Galatians 4, later in, in the book that we'll get to, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus lived under the law when He was here on earth. And He kept it perfectly. He never failed, not in in one single point of the law. He never failed. And that's important because He is a representative for us. When He goes to the cross, He goes as the only one ever to obey God's law. He goes to the cross perfect, holy, without blemish. And there He died to liberate, to set free from the law all who would trust in Him. All who would have faith in Him. Now remember, this is, this is Paul still telling about his encounter with Peter and his confrontation of Peter. It's probably the last of that argument or confrontation with Peter that we're reading today. He's still explaining here why reverting back to the law and imposing the law on the Gentile believers is wrong. Because Peter, by doing that, is suggesting that the law is necessary. Necessary to live in a way that pleases God. But that, that contradicts the cross of Christ. Paul's saying that no believer is now under the law. Not anymore. Believers have literally died to the law. The law no longer exercises authority over them. The beginning of Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says this, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. You've died to the law through the body of Christ. The death of Christ put an end to the reign of the law. The arrival of a new era in redemptive history has now come in Christ. And so what Peter and the rival teachers are doing is turning the clock back in redemptive history. It's teaching that the law rather than Christ is what decides salvation. Paul's saying here, Jesus was born under the law and lived according to the law. And so as the sinless one, he alone was able to redeem and set free those who were under the law. Jesus in his death took the full penalty of the law upon himself, even though as the sinless one, he didn't deserve its curse. And so as Paul seems to be saying here, the reign of the law ended through the law. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now that's very important. Now that we're no longer under the law, we're free now to live to God. Romans 4, 7, I read the beginning of it. Um, this is the rest of, of Romans, uh, or excuse me, Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to, to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that 
we may bear, bear fruit to God. That, that's what Paul's saying here in Galatians 2 as well. There's an aim, there's a direction, there's fruit that comes from what Christ has done in delivering us from the law. It doesn't mean we're fruitless, it means we're freed to be fruitful. To be under the law led to death, but with the coming of Christ, there's now life and freedom. Those who believe in Christ have died with Christ and are freed from the power of sin and and now are able to live to God, Paul says. You and I are free and empowered, enabled now in Christ to live to God. To live for His glory and to live for His praise. Paul continues in, in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. Believers, all who trust in Jesus died to the law when Christ died. We share in the death of Christ. This statement by Paul is in the perfect tense in the Greek. It speaks of a past event with ongoing consequences. In other words, I am in the ongoing condition of having been crucified. Crucified with Him. That means something. In Christ, our body of sin is no more. It's as Paul says, brought to nothing. Yes, the wages of that sin were great, insurmountable for anyone other than Christ, but He came and He did what we could not do. And in His death, we died with Him. Paul's saying, I'm no longer the person I once was. And if you're in Christ, you are no longer the person that you once were. He continues, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what Paul means here is this, I'm still alive. I didn't physically, literally die. But the old me, who I was in Adam, he doesn't live anymore. He died. The old self is gone. And believers are now a new self in Christ. This is a wonderful truth about life in Christ, a gift of God's grace. So remember, we are in Galatia. And we're hearing about Peter's messed up theology, gospelist theology. Insisting on food laws plunges people right back into the present evil age that Paul referred to in the opening of the letter. Consider the blessing of the new age we have in Christ. We have, as Paul mentions, the indwelling of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory in us. 
incredibly significant. Christ lives in me. Paul says that of himself, and he means that of any of us who are in Christ. Christ lives in me, his death and resurrection. In other words, just as Paul emphasizes in Ephesians 1, Christ lives in my place. When the holy and just God of the universe looks on me, do you know what he sees? He sees me. But he sees me wearing the perfections of Christ. He sees Christ in me. That is the most hopeful of things. So Christ in me means that I have perfection living on my behalf, righteousness in my account. But also it means that I have the hope of living by faith to God, by the power of Christ. And Paul says in Ephesians 1.19 that that power, when he's referring here and in Ephesians of Christ being in us, that it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work on our behalf. And in Ephesians 1, he's praying that the believers would know that, that they would believe that. By the power of Christ, I can live a life seeking to please the God who saved me by His grace. And he says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live my life with Christ in me in the flesh. Paul's saying here, the eternal kingdom has been inaugurated. Christ has come, and He died but he didn't stay dead. He was raised and he inaugurated his new and everlasting kingdom. That has been inaugurated, but it has not yet fully come. We are still in our flesh. And we battle with that day in and day out and day in and day out. We're still in this body of flesh. We still live in the same body that is marred by sin and marred by the effects of sin and brokenness. But Christ now lives in me. In the same way that He willingly stepped into this broken world, He willingly stepped into your broken body, in your broken heart. So I can live in the midst of the brokenness by faith in the Son of God, by faith in the Messiah, Jesus. And this new life is marked by what? Faith. Not law. Notice the end of this verse. The Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is the true gospel. Paul is saying to Peter. God loved you and gave Himself for you. Honestly, if I was getting to this 
part of the sermon and typing it. I, I genuinely thought, what if I just said that over and over and over for the rest of the sermon? God loved you and gave himself for you. Christ died in Paul's place. And Christ died in your place. And Christ died in my place. As you consider Paul's words here, please understand that the fuel of faith is love. The love of God is what fuels faith. This language is a language of substitution. The Messiah represented you in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. I want to pause here. I'm just, I have said so many times from up here, and it's true, it's true, okay? Let me preface and say it's true. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. That's the truth, okay? God's word is truth. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So you, your faith is not going to increase apart from the word of God. It's not going to. But I want to tell you that this, what I'm saying about love being the fuel for faith is one million percent true. Because you can give yourself to the Bible in a way that doesn't believe that God loves you. You can memorize it, you can quote it, you can throw it at people, you can do all of those things without love. But we're looking for faith. We're looking to be people who truly believe, who truly love in response to His love for us. The love of God is what fuels faith. If I don't believe that He loves me, then I'm not going to believe the way that I'm called to. This language here is the language of substitution. The Messiah represented you in His life and in His death and in His resurrection. He represented you. He loved you and He gave Himself for you. When Paul says to the Philippians that he made himself nothing, it's talking about this. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Son of God represented you. It was a substitute for you in coming to this earth as the true and better Adam living the life that was needed, perfect and holy, in your place, on your behalf. It was a substitute on the cross, dying the death that you and I deserved in our place, taking the punishment, God's wrath for our sins, and then being raised, representing our victory over sin and death. And now that love that led him to the cross now leads us through life. Day by day, living by faith to God. And what's the result for us? What is Paul saying here? He writes it to the Romans. Romans 6, starting with verse 4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has not been set free from sin. Excuse me, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not their sin therefore reign in your moral body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And so then, brothers and sisters, if that is true, listen then to Paul's words to the Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Lastly, verse 21 in Galatians 2. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Again, this is his address to Peter. If the law is enough, then grace is nothing. Righteousness is no longer a gift. Rather, it can be attained by human effort. And so again, either Peter renounces the need to observe the food laws or he renounces the gospel. There's not a middle way. This is the, this is the approach that Paul is taking with Peter. By God's grace, the old is gone forever. 
We are now resurrection people, and so we live by faith. I love Paul's words to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Do you believe that? One of our values as a church is gospel intentionality, which says this, as followers of Christ, we are charged with a clear and distinct purpose in 1 Peter 2.9, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. In light of this, we seek to be purposeful in living our lives in such a way that brings God honor in all that we say and do, whether in our homes, at our places of work, or amongst our neighbors. As we seek the help of the Holy Spirit to obey and live out the commands of God found in the Scriptures and grow in sound doctrine, we are intentionally inviting others to follow us as we follow Christ together. Isn't that how we should respond to this great love of God toward us? Paul says it this way, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. We do this every week, and I say this often. It's something that we, we so don't want to let become just another thing that we do, something that we're used to, something that we do without thinking or having our hearts engaged. And so as you're dismissed today and you come to get the bread and the cup and take it back to your seats, let's honestly consider the love of Christ, the one who came to represent you and to represent me and who, and who went to the cross in our place, that his body was literally broken instead of yours, that his blood was literally poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, and we go free, and he invites us to the table, invites us to come and partake of him and with him. So let's set our hearts on him and on his love and worship him and remember him as we take it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're so good to us, Lord. As we consider the truth of even these few verses in the midst of all of your word to us, Lord. We're grateful. We ask that you'd help us in this time as we Prepare our hearts to take the bread and the cup together as a family. We ask that you would help us to remember rightly your love for us. That you'd be glorified. Your word says that as often as we do this, we together proclaim your death until you come. And we rejoice in doing that, Lord. So help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.